1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on ninety-three point nine KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing today's program. Clark Hilton is engineering. I'm so looking forward to a long conversation with John Fortmeyer. You might be scratching your heads. Now I know the name is familiar, but John Fortmeyer, where he is the owner founding publisher and editor of Christian News Northwest they have been providing information and resource to the Christian community for some 25 years we're going to talk a bit about that history when he joins me later this hour looking forward to a conversation with John Fortmeyer first to look at some of the headlines president trump today met with outgoing british prime minister teresa may i say outgoing because her time is up on friday um, they, uh, the two of them talked with corporate executives from the U.S. and the U.K. before an afternoon news conference on the second day of the president's state visit. The leader's top priority is a possible bilateral trade deal to take effect once the U.K. leaves the European Union. Now, she was unable to uh, uh, close the deal on that, um, but her predecessor seems to be um, more the individual he was Speaking to during that visit, big trade deal is possible once UK gets rid of the shackles already starting to talk. Trump tweeted on Monday, still after the um, a day of pageantry on Monday and a war of words with London's mayor. The president could be greeted by tens of thousands of protesters as part of the carnival of resistance. And yes, the big balloon uh, is also uh, there. And the Dems led uh, the Democrat led House is uh, set to vote next week on whether to hold Attorney General William Barr and former White House counsel Don McGahn in contempt of court for failing to comply with congressional uh, requests for information, subpoenas, in other words. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer announced earlier today, Republicans repeatedly have countered that federal law protecting secretive grand jury information would prevent Barr from turning over special counsel Robert Mueller's report in its Entirety. As for McGahn, the White House has instructed its former top lawyer not to testify, saying he's legally immune from being compelled to discuss privileged discussions in the course of his official duties. Democrats have responded that McCann waived that privilege by agreeing to speak to Mueller. Well, one day after the Democrat-led House announced it would vote next week. Um, uh, to hold uh, the the pair in contempt, the Justice Department is firing back, revealing publicly that Democrats themselves acknowledged in May that their subpoena for special counsel Robert Mueller's files is unworkably overbroad. And that's apparently a quote. In a letter to House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler, the department said Tuesday it was prepared to resume negotiations with the committee regarding accommodation of its narrowed subpoena as long as Democrats remove the threat of an imminent vote by the House of Representatives to hold the Attorney General in contempt. The department was disappointed by the committee's abrupt termination of ongoing negotiations aimed at reaching a reasonable accommodation that respects both sides' legitimate interests regarding the materials sought. Further, the department is disappointed by news reports indicating that Democratic leaders have scheduled a contempt vote in the House of Representatives for the 11th of June, read the letter written by Assistant Attorney General Stephen Boyd. The letter called on House Judiciary Committee to Um, Moot its May 8th vote to hold Barr in contempt, which the department called premature and unnecessary. That vote came after congressional Democrats subpoenaed Mueller's full and unredacted report. On his probe of Russian meddling in the 2016 election. So this is an ongoing and developing story. Meanwhile, a federal judge appointed by President Trump threw out House Democrats lawsuit seeking an injunction against the president's emergency reallocation of funds for his border wall, saying that the matter is fundamentally a political dispute and that the politicians lack standing to make a legal case. The president had declared a national emergency this past February over the humanitarian crisis at the southern border following Congress's failure to fund his border wall legislatively. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats then filed suit in April charging that Trump was stealing from appropriated funds by moving $6.7 billion from other projects toward border wall construction. And Paul Manafort, the former Trump campaign chairman who was sentenced earlier this year to four years in prison for tax and bank fraud related to his work advising Ukrainian politicians, will be transferred later this week from a minimum security facility in Pennsylvania To New York City's Rikers Island, a source close to Manafort is uh, reporting, Rikers Island has been the infamous temporary home of some of the most high-profile violent criminals in the city, including David Berkowitz, son of Sam, Mark David Chapman, the man who killed John Lennon. Manafort will be held in solitary confinement for his own protection, the source said. The move is expected to happen as early as Thursday. We'll talk more about that And what Alan Dershowitz uh, has to say about it and warning that we must take drastic action now to address the climate disaster facing the nation and our world, former Vice President Joe Biden uh, unveiled a wide ranging plan to combat climate change and transform America's economy using the Green New Deal as a framework. The clear front-runner right now in the race for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination announced he's calling for a cre- clean energy revolution to confront this crisis and do what America does best: solve big problems with big ideas. The price tag for the proposal, named the Biden Plan for a Clean Energy Revolution and Environmental Justice, is 1.7 trillion dollars over the next 10 years. But is Biden's plan in green enough for Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Who was uh, questioned his credibility and commitment to climate change issues? Well, since then, there have been charges that he plagiarized the plan altogether. You might recall in his first bid for his party's nomination, he ended up uh, stepping aside for plagiarizing information. Um, Again, that issue uh, still in play. And the California State Bar that oversees discipline for all California licensed attorneys issued a consumer alert Monday evening concerning Michael Avenatti, saying it was moving to suspend him from the practice of law because he alleged uh, his alleged conduct poses a substantial threat of harm to clients or the public. The development further accentuated Avenatti's dramatic public fall from grace as he faces numerous federal criminal charges in both California and New York courts for allegedly trying to blackmail the clothing giant Nike, impersonating a client, misappropriating client funds for personal purchases and related matters. Um, Avenatti called the California state bar's move nothing more than a pile on and that he looked forward to being exonerated. U.S. Border Patrol agents assigned to the Del Rio station apprehended a large number, 116 individuals on Thursday. This is the first large group apprehended in the Del Rio sector and the first large group of uh, Africans, including nationals from Angola, Cameroon and Congo apprehended on the southwest border this year. So we're not just seeing folks come from uh, South America, but from other countries as well, seeing our porous border as a way in. Um, The House passed a long-delayed aid bill on Monday that will send $19.1 billion to states and territories hit by flooding, wildfires, tornadoes, hurricanes, and other natural disasters in recent months. The legislation now goes to the president. The president has described the bill as great and is expected to sign it. Later, if uh, time permits, we'll talk about why Republicans opposed it, because it's tethered to no funding mechanism uh, and uh, would add to the deficit. Well, the U.S. Manufacturing Purchasing Manager's Index fell by more than two points to 50.5 in May, the lowest level since September 2009. That's according to the IHS market. New orders contacted for the first time since August of 2009. The overall index has fallen by almost six points over the last year. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to a conversation with John Fortmeyer. He's the owner the founding publisher and editor of Christian News Northwest celebrating 25 years of serving the Christian community here in the Pacific Northwest.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: 19 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I mentioned earlier that Paul Manafort, the former Trump campaign chairman who was sentenced earlier this year to nearly seven years in prison in connection with two federal cases, is going to be transferred later this week from a minimum security facility in Pennsylvania to New York City's Rikers Island. Uh, Rikers Island is the famous jail in the shadow of the LaGuardia Airport. It's been the temporary home of some of the most high-profile violent criminals in the city, including David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, and Mark David Chapman, the man who killed John Lennon. He's not a mob boss, uh, one source close to Manafort said. Well, a New York state judge ordered the transfer at the request of the New York City District Attorney Cy Vance Jr. He's going to be held in solitary confinement for his own protection, according to sources, and the move is expected to happen as early as this week. Uh, Vance is a Democrat. He made, uh, said in March that a New York grand jury charged Manafort with 16 counts, including residential mortgage fraud, falsifying, falsifying business records, other charges. He said at that point that no one is beyond the law in New York. Manafort cannot be pardoned by the president from state crimes. Well, Vance's office didn't uh, respond to uh, requests for information as to why um, he is being transferred there, but his conviction... Uh, didn't meet uh, his conviction, rather in August, made him the first campaign associate with the president found guilty by a jury as part of Special Counsel Robert Mueller's probe. Now it wasn't related to his role uh, as the the campaign chairman, uh, but he was associated with the campaign. Well, Alan Dershowitz of this uh, move says this: this decision to move Paul Manafort. Uh, who was sentenced earlier this year from the decent federal prison to which he was sentenced to solitary confinement to the dangerous uh, hellhole that the New York City's Rikers Island seems abusive and possibly illegal. I know Rikers well, having spent time there visiting numerous defendants accused of murder and other violent crimes. It is a terrible place that no one should ever be sent to. It should be shut down. It is so bad that defendants often plead guilty, even if they have uh, defensible cases, simply to move to a safer and better prison. Why, then, was Manafort moved there? He's already been indicted on multiple state charges for which he cannot, if convicted, be pardoned. He should be allowed to await that trial in the federal facility to which he was sentenced. He could then be transferred to New York on the eve of his state trial. The New York authorities, rather, appeared to acknowledge that he would be unsafe at Rikers, presumably because of his high-profile connections. That's why he will be held in solitary confinement for his own good. But his own good would better be served by leaving him where he already spent time in federal confinement. So there are some real questions as to why this move is being done. Is it politically motivated? Does the uh, relocation fit the crime? And so on. Well, former Senator Bob Kerry, um, speaking on the debate over the economy ahead of the 2020 presidential election, made the point that with campaigning already underway for the next election cycle, money doled out toward political ads is reportedly expected to reach $9.9 billion in 2020. That's according to new data. That figure is part of a recent advertising forecast by Group M. And is an increase over the past two election years, according to the Wall Street Journal spending report. Uh, reportedly, reached eight point seven billion dollars in 2018, midterm election year, and six point three billion in 2016. Group M's global president of business intelligence predicted spending in 2020 would top that of 2018, which was shockingly high. Uh, there's just generally more activity in a presidential year than a non-presidential year. So whatever the 2018 number was, 2020 is going to be bigger. Well, that sentiment was echoed in the company's U.S. media forecast report, which was released today. Group M, that describes itself as an advertising firm uh, and a media investment group, noted that political ads cause disparities in advertising growth from year to year. It seems unlikely that political advertising won't be bigger than it was back in 2018. And so with an estimated $10 billion in in their model for the present time, they forecast 8.2 percent headline growth for 2020. That means a lot of money in politics, a lot of ads, a lot of information, a lot of disinformation. Well, the $19.1 billion disaster aid bill that faced significant opposition from conservative Republicans passed the House on Monday evening, as uh, suggested by a lopsided vote of 354 to 58. Only Republicans voted against the measure that included funding in the aftermath of hurricanes, wildfires and other storms, as well as money to help Puerto Rico rebuild from hurricane damage in 2017. So why would they oppose it? The president is expected to sign the bill. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer of Maryland, the House's number two Democrat, tweeted Monday night that he hopes Trump would sign it swiftly into law. After all, there are people on the other end in need. But here are some of the things to know about the bill that amounts to more than four times what the president previously requested to construct a wall or other barriers at the southern border. Three conservative Republicans, Chip Roy of Texas, then Thomas Massey of Kentucky, and finally John Rose of Tennessee, that was last Thursday, blocked the spending bill three separate times. Um, If the uh, Speaker of this House thought that this was a must-pass legislation, the Speaker should have called a vote on this bill before sending every member of Congress on recess for 10 days, Massey said, speaking to the House Speaker. Uh, The Senate already had passed the spending bill since the House was on recess last week. A single lawmaker could object to prevent its passage. That's what happened three times. The move by the three Republicans was met with criticism from some of their own party as well as Democrats. Um, Roy said on Twitter that Congress should not attempt to pass major spending bills when members of Congress aren't even in Washington to debate and vote on the bill, especially when that bill provides no funding to address the humanitarian crisis on our border. Secondly, there was unrelated funding. The disaster relief measure also contains elements that are completely unrelated, not altogether surprising in Washington. The bill includes funding for block grants sponsored by the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, something that uh, we've consistently been critical of in these bills is funding for community development block grants. It's in there. This bill has another two point four billion dollars for that. We've called for this uh, grant to be eliminated in the blueprint for uh, blueprint for balance as it's poorly targeted and there's little evidence that it is effective. So says um, uh, Mr. Bogie, who works in Heritage Foundation's Grover Herman Center for the federal budget. Justin Bogie is a senior policy analyst. And thirdly, the legislation doesn't include funding for a wall or other barriers along portions of the southern border, which the president has requested. It falls under the category of disaster. Senate Appropriations Chairman Richard uh, Shelby said that uh, wall funding was not a top priority for the legislation. The president said, "Okay," Shelby said, according to NPR. I'm sure he wanted the border wall funding, but uh, we took that uh, all out and we're going to try to push that separately, which I assume will be the case at some point very soon. In the intellectual takeout, Annie Holmquist uh, suggested that, and uh, Holmquist is a physician, says that American children are immersed in a culture of disrespect. I was in Ikea last night. In fact, I ran into a listener from Astoria, um, a family man with eight kids in Astoria doing a little shopping before heading back uh, to the coast. And I noticed two boys in front of me, they were there with their mother, and you know those wooden hands where you can shape the fingers, and the artists often use it to help them uh, draw. Well, they took it upon themselves. They were young boys, 12, maybe 8 and 12. They took it upon themselves to shape the hand in a very offensive way. Uh, their mother said nothing about it, did nothing about it. Everyone else just kind of rolled their eyes and looked away. But this physician says, American children are immersed in a culture of disrespect. Let's face it, she writes, almost every child has likely had some type of meltdown in public, causing great embarrassment to both the child's parents and to other witnesses in the vicinity. But while such disrespectful behavior is embarrassing at age two, it's downright horrifying the older a child gets. Dr. Leonard Sachs recently experienced one of those horrifying displays of disrespect. In his medical practice. And he describes the scenario in a recent edition of the Wall Street Journal. And by the way, it's worth looking up. Kyle was absorbed in the video game of his uh, on his cell phone. So I asked his mom, how long has Kyle had a stomach ache? Mom said, I'm thinking it's been about two days. Then Kyle repi- replied, shut up, mom. You don't know what you're talking about. And he gave a snorty laugh without looking up from the video game. Kyle is Ten years old. I can't even begin to tell you what would have happened to me or any one of my siblings if any one of us even thought without voicing the words, shut up to my mother or father. I'm not going to go into detail. You can use your imagination, but I would not be sitting here today. Anyway, unfortunately, such behavior is no longer an anomaly, as Dr. Sachs goes on to explain, and he writes, I've been a physician for 29 years. This sort of language and behavior from a 10-year-old was very rare in the 80s and 90s. It would have been unusual a decade ago. It is common today, America's children are immersed in a culture of disrespect for parents, for teachers, for one another. They learn it from television, even on the Disney Channel, where it's considered kind of clever to be snarky, where parents are portrayed as clueless, out of touch, or absent, and kids don't really need them. They learn it from celebrities or the Internet. They learn it from social media. They teach it to one another. They wear T-shirts emblazoned with slogans like, I'm not shy, I just don't like you. But while disrespectful children have become the norm, Dr. Sachs has found that respect Obedient children still exist out there, respectful, I should say, largely because there are still a few parents who practice authoritative parenting. And according to Dr. Sachs, it's not too late for parents to change course and start instilling respect in their children. He recommends uh, doing so in three ways. Put the family before the child. Prioritize the family. The family meal at home is more important than piling on after school extracurricular activities. Instead of boosting self-esteem, teach humility. He suggests removing distractions, no screens when you're with your child, put your cell phone away, no electronic devices at the dinner table. Teach the art of face to face conversation and draw a line in the sand and don't look back. If you're going to make a change, don't be subtle. New Year's Day is as good as any to sit down with your children and explain that there's going to be some changes in the household, changes in how we talk, how we behave, how we treat one another. New Year's Day. Start of school, end of the school year, the start of summer, you decide. Americans have tried the kinder, gentler, let-me-be-your-friend approach to parenting for the last several decades. If the behavior problems in schools and the heightened level of sensitivity on college campuses are any indication, this parenting approach hasn't produced the positive outcomes we were hoping for. Is it time for today's parents to reverse course and begin teaching their children to respect others first instead of their own little selves? Well, the answer to that question is a resounding yes. I would have loved to have seen the mother look at what her sons had done. Young boys, 10, 8, I'm not sure what their ages were, seeing that it was a disrespectful and unnecessary gesture, uh, required that they go back and fix it, give them a stern look or maybe a, a word, encouraging them to respect others who were in line. And by the way, it was a very long, slow, arduous line didn't happen the boys kept looking at it looking at the adults surrounding them snickering and laughing that's the age we live in coming up next i'm looking forward to a long conversation with john fortmeyer he is the owner he's the founding publisher and editor of christian news northwest they've been around for 25 years we'll explain that whole history when we return
1: you're listening to the Georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq
2: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And as promised, I'm looking forward to a conversation with John Fortmeyer. He has been a fixture in the Christian community for a number of years, providing information to those of us in the Pacific Northwest, in Oregon and Southwest Washington, as the owner, the founding publisher, editor of Christian News Northwest. He is now in his 43rd consecutive year of newspapering, Um, He is uh, from the Newburgh area, uh, uh, the publisher of Christian News Northwest. And before launching Christian News Northwest in 1994, which was 25 years ago, he worked 18 years as a reporter or editor at daily or weekly newspapers in Anacortes, Washington, Ontario, Portland, Astoria, uh, here in Oregon. During the initial years of the uh, newspaper Christian News Northwest, he also was director of public information at George Fox University in Newburgh for seven years, a communications graduate of Seattle Pacific University. He and his wife, Sandy, are members of Newburgh Church of the Nazarene. They have four grown children and eight grandchildren. And I'm just excited to have you here today to have a long conversation about uh, the impact of Christian News Northwest faithfully providing information and uh, resource to the Christian community in Oregon and Southwest Washington. So first of all, congratulations.
3: Well, thank you very much, Georgine. It, it I really appreciate you bringing me on here. I, I was, as we were talking before... Before we came back on the air, uh, you had me on here to talk about the 10th anniversary 15 years ago. And it just seems like the time has yeah. just gone like that.
2: It's yeah. It's amazing. I have to admit, though, you don't look like that much time has passed.
3: <laughs> well, you really need to
2: work on aging because well, <laughs> it just isn't fair.
3: Well, thank you. Thank you. It depends. <laughs> you should see me after t- some of my active grandson's visit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's enough to wear anybody up, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, you and your... Um, opinion piece that appeared in this latest edition of Christian news Northwest, which I read faithfully. I look forward to it. I read it faithfully. Um, You you write, it's definitely not 1994 anymore, folks. I can imagine that over the 25 years, uh, first of all, you were a journalist before that, but over the 25 years that you have been producing Christian news Northwest, you've seen some sweeping changes in the Christian community and certainly in the culture.
3: Right. Um, And I've, Anticipating this question, I I was thinking about the way the Christian community is today and and what it was years ago. you know here in the Northwest it's not the Bible Belt mm-hmm. uh, it's not like the Southern U.S. where where uh, you know it's almost expected that you'll go to church and, and such um, I've I, it seems like I've heard that here in the Portland area the estimate and you can correct me if you know differently Georgine that the the estimated size of the evangelical community here is like three hundred thousand people or so. I, I I don't remember where I heard that, but um, um, is is you know our newspaper specifically serves the evangelical Christian community. It always has been designed that way. Um, and is is the evangelical community the same as it was uh, back in ninety four? I get concerned because I I. I Particularly, George Barna surveys all mm-hmm. <laughs> seem yes. to concern me sometimes because the results he comes up with are troubling sometimes, and I get concerned about uh, there seems to be a a greater greater lack of Bible literacy where the average Christian, professing Christian, uh, is not as cognizant as they once were about you know some of the basic what are, what are traditional values and and the path that that maybe they should should take as they pursue their own Christian walk. And, you know, I'd have to do a deep survey of a lot of people to find out if some of the attitudes and beliefs are the same today as they were 25 years ago. But I I just have a little concern about that.
2: Well, there certainly have been sweeping changes all across the country, but certainly here in the Pacific Northwest that was notoriously sort of independent-minded anyway, and it, it certainly had an impact on the church. So you, in covering news related to the Christian community have seen and reported on those sweeping changes over the last 25 um, years. You describe your role with Christian News Northwest as one of the great adventures of your life. Talk a little bit about your career before sure. establishing the paper, and then we'll talk about how it got started and what motivated sure. you and others to make this uh,
3: this move. Well, um like you mentioned, I had worked for about 18 years in the quote-unquote secular newspaper field. Uh, I graduated from, from a Christian school in Seattle, Seattle Pacific University. My major was in communications. I was editor of the campus paper there. I actually had three interest areas when I graduated back in 1977. <laughs> that sounds a long time ago. <laughs> um, I was interested in in broadcast management, I was interested in broadcast news, and I was interested in newspaper. And I just kind of asked, asked the Lord, I said, put me where I'm supposed to be. And I wound up getting my first newspaper job. I, I wound up a newspaper. Uh, my first newspaper job was over on the Oregon-Idaho border in Ontario at a small daily paper where I spent a year as a reporter. It was great experience, great experience. But I was anxious to get back on the, the wet side of the mountains. I missed the trees and the cream. Yeah. And... Uh, I went from there up to Anacortes, a uh, beautiful, beautiful city. Just gorgeous. Yeah. Thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Uh, and I was editor of the weekly newspaper there, which was tied in with the, the nearby daily in Mount Vernon. And I spent uh, seven years there. And then I spent eight years in Astoria working uh, for the uh, small daily there um, first as a reporter, and then as a copy editor, and then as an associate editor. And then um, I was offered, and and this is a very interesting chapter in in my history, Uh, I was offered a position. I I had a desire to work in a uh, news environment that perhaps reflected some of my beliefs and concerns. And there was, you you may remember this, Georgine. there was an attempt back in 1993 at a statewide weekly newspaper, with more of a conservative slant. It was called the Oregon News Leader. And I got selected as editor for that. But that only lasted a short time because um, uh, it was undercapitalized from the start. And there were uh, it, it got politicized and scared away some advertising. And so uh, at that time, uh, my wife and I, we'd moved to Newburgh, where we still live today. We had, had four children, and... I was a little disenchanted at that time with continuing a newspaper work because um, I sensed a growing. You know, here's here's the here's the difficulty, Georgine. If if you're covering the news, you have to have a basic framework of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was discerning a greater difference in what I felt was right and wrong as opposed to a lot of the the journalism out there. And so I was I was getting a little bit disenchanted with newspaper. And my wife and I prayed about it. And uh, I decided to instead pursue uh, a position at a Christian college. Did a national search and uh, went on for quite some time. And there were no openings, although they did like my background. But after some time, a, a small part-time position opened up at what used to be Western Evangelical Seminary, not to be confused with Western Seminary, Western Evangelical Seminary. And shortly after I arrived, and that was to do public relations and such. And that opened up an opportunity uh, at George Fox because about less than a year after I started working at the seminary, that seminary merged with George Fox College to create George Fox University. And that that opened up uh, a position at the Newberg campus for me. Simultaneously, I got introduced to a gentleman from Canada who had started this thing up there called a Christian newspaper. And I'd never really heard of a Christian newspaper. And because I'm a Christian, and because my background was as a (laughs) newspaper man, it fascinated me.
2: Now, I'm going to stop you there, because we're going to take a break in just a moment. But before we do, I want to ask you something you said early on. Uh, You said that when you had finished your college education, I think this is important because we have lots of young people listening who are at that crossroads. You had three areas of interest, and you prayed and said, Lord... You direct me in the the area that you would have me go right. how how important was submitting to god's will and seeking his direction in setting
3: the course that would be the course for the rest of your life well it's very important i mean for everyone if if they're serious about wanting to have a meaningful career it's it's very important uh, i mean you who knows us better than our creator and and to to ask his guidance in pursuing a career path i think I think it makes sense.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a wise approach. We're going to pick up the story where we left off in just a moment. Again, talking with John Fortmeyer. So delighted and honored to have you with us in studio, celebrating 25 years of Christian News Northwest. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: We're back. Fifty-one minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I have John Fortmeyer right here in studio. Now, you may know his name. You may see his face occasionally on the in the paper, or you may see him at an event because he's virtually everywhere, covering everything that's happening in order to report in Christian News Northwest. But I'm delighted to have him here in studio to just talk about and reminisce a little bit over the past 25 years. Now, just before the break, we were talking about. Uh, the fact that it had come to your attention in Canada that they were in the process of developing a Christian newspaper. And while today, the 21st century, it doesn't sound like that innovative, at the time, this was this was a first.
3: This particular, when I first heard about this, this Christian newspaper up in Canada, it had been going for several years. There was, in the uh, 80s and early 90s, quite a proliferation across the U.S. and Canada of these Christian newspapers, and, and like I said, when I when I first heard about them, I thought, "Well, that's that's uh, <laughs> very intriguing." And I met this gentleman from Canada. His name was Lloyd Mackey. Actually, uh, uh, it w- he w- I was referred to him uh, by folks. There there used to be a kind of a clearinghouse here in the Portland area called Mission Portland mm-hmm. for the evangelical yes. activities, and they had suggested that I, I meet this gentleman and a delightful delightful uh, man, and uh, he liked my background. And he asked me, uh, well, is Portland being served by a Christian newspaper? I said, not that I know of. He said, well, would you like to try starting one? And not knowing any better, I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And the rest is history. Uh, In June of 19, this gentleman came down for two months to help us uh, get the paper started. And we started it on borrowed equipment in Lake Oswego. Uh, A wonderful gentleman named Carl Townsend uh, made some some, uh, equipment available to us, and we We launched the newspaper in June of 1994, a very humble eight-page paper, and uh, started spreading it around to about 300 churches, and the rest is history.
2: Now, you would assume that uh, a new uh,
3: newspaper that
2: uh, caters to the Christian community would be readily embraced and accepted by churches. Um, There was a bit of a rough go in the beginning?
3: Well, uh, it depends on on what kind of church. You know, uh, those who analyze the religious community uh, tend to categorize churches in different ways. You have the more mainline denominations um, that uh, some. You know, I could I could identify some of them. Um, uh, some some Lutheran churches, some Presbyterians, some Baptist, um, the uh, uh, Congregational churches, United Church of Christ, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then you have those that. They would consider more evangelical, uh, which cover a, a wide range. There, the more mainline churches uh, were not as embracing of the paper uh, because, for for whatever reason, uh, there are differences in attitude on on a number of uh, social issues and things like that. That, that uh, I was pretty naive. I thought I thought everybody would just automatically welcome this paper, and I found out pretty quick that, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. But we still had hundreds and hundreds of churches uh, enthusiastic about it. So uh, even, like I said earlier, even though this isn't the Bible Belt, uh, we have a sizable enough community that I felt that it could support a newspaper.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now, when you find the Christian News Northwest, um, it's, for most of us, free of charge. And we wonder, how was that possible? How did you fund the start of Christian News Northwest? And were there challenges in maintaining that, especially in the early days? Uh, If
3: you take a look at our our current issue, our 25th anniversary issue, um, uh, I I briefly touch upon this in my commentary. Uh, This gentleman from Canada came down, and he was temporarily doing ad sales for us. And he drummed up enough business to get ad commitments for the first issue. Okay? No problem. That was the June 94 issue. Then he started working on the July 94 issue. He got a number of ad commitments. Things were trucking along just fine. And then just a few days before we were supposed to go to press with it, for really unexplainable reasons, these advertisers, one after another, independently said, sorry, we can't do an ad after all. And we were down to just nothing. And I was feeling pretty disheartened about that because we needed this ad revenue to keep things going. So I went back to Newburgh and there was a prayer meeting going on at the church we were attending at that time. And I walked in, and I said, uh, and, and these, these friends of ours, they knew that I was in the process of launching this. And uh, I said, I need a miracle here. If we don't get some ad commitments here in the next two days or so, there won't be a, a second issue of this paper. So we prayed. And like I wrote in the commentary, I'd like to say we got you know a whole bunch of, of ad commitments. We didn't. But we got one ad that was large enough. Just enough revenue because of that ad that we were able to keep the machinery going. And then by the third issue, things started to increase from there and so on.
2: Yeah. You uh, point out that 299 monthly editions later, the rest is history. That's and right. each month we can look forward to and find Christian News Northwest available with uh, current information for the Christian community in our area in Oregon and Southwest Washington. Um, You mentioned that that one advertiser never placed another (laughs) ad again.
3: That's interesting. Uh, uh, I just feel like that was uh, God's special provision for that that one issue.
2: You also pointed out that you um, prayed and asked God for resource. He gave you just what you needed, and that that has been an underlying uh, current for Christian News Northwest throughout. Not just in those days when things were lean, but throughout. There's been an undercurrent of prayer.
3: Well, um, I, I say in this commentary that we're as dependent on the Lord's provision today as we were 25 years ago, and that's very true, particularly these last 10 years. Um, when you talk about the mass media 100 or 150 years ago, newspapers was, were it. Yeah. You know, newspapers may be the town crier, and that was the extent of mass media. Well, look at everything that's been added since then. You know, uh, uh, movies came in, uh, radio came in, TV came in. Uh, then the internet, and so the whole media pie has really gotten, you know, divvied up there. And so newspapers, you know, I'll be the first to admit, and here I'm a career newspaper man, I'll be the first to admit that newspapers do not have the dominance that they used to in the media mix. We, we just have a, a, a smaller piece of the overall pie now. But, um, and maybe maybe uh, my attitude is a bit skewed because I'm, I'm on the upper end of the years now, I still see a role for, for newspapers. Time will tell whether whether that plays out. But um, uh, here's I get a lot of questions about the future of newspapering, and here's what I tell people: newspapers certainly don't have the immediacy of of the web. What newspapers offer What what newspapers offer is a physical, tangible sense of community identity. If you're in a designated community, whether it's the evangelical community in our area or a town like Newburgh or or Gresham or whatever, if you see the hometown paper around there, it provides a sense of community identity that stands out in a way that a website never will. Mm -hmm. A website gets lost in the zillions of websites. And I'm not putting down the value of of websites. I mean, I I read the web as much as anybody. I still, there's something about the tangible presence of a newspaper. I'm just an old newsprint and ink guy
2: yeah yeah well i no, i certainly enjoy it i look forward to it i wait for it and i make good use of it we're going to take a quick break but we'll continue our conversation again we're talking with uh, john Fortmeyer. he's the publisher of christian news northwest he's also a founding editor we've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour i mean it doesn't replace christian news northwest but it'll cover a couple of things from the day we'll be back
1: you're listening to the Georgine rice show podcast is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. So glad you've joined us today, because I'm continuing a conversation with John Fortmeyer. More on that in just a moment. Want to let you know that James Blend is producing today's program, and Clark Hilton is engineering. Continuing my conversation with John Fortmeyer, you should know that he is the publisher and editor of the Christian News Northwest newspaper based in Newburgh. He's a native of Seattle. He graduated in communications from Seattle Pacific. In seventy-seven, edited the campus newspaper there. Spent the next seventeen years as an editor and reporter for several small daily and weekly newspapers in Oregon and Washington before launching Christian News Northwest in nineteen ninety-four. It has a monthly circulation of about thirty-two thousand copies throughout Western and uh, um, Washington and uh, Oregon. Um, the paper uh, was tied with two other newspapers for second place among the nation's best Christian newspapers in 2005, Evangelical Press Association. Uh, John is a member of the board for the Fellowship of Christian Newspapers. It's a uh, He also spent several years as director of public information for George Fox University. He and his wife, Sandy, married in 83. They have four grown kids, one granddaughter, and uh, are members of the uh, Newburg Church of the Nazarene. Um, Christian News Northwest is celebrating 25 years of faithful service to the Christian community, and we are just celebrating along with them and just honoring you, John, for your fortitude in uh, continuing to provide
3: great information through Christian News Northwest all of these uh, these years. Well, thank you, Georgine. You've you've always been a, a great friend to to me and to our operation. As an example of of how things change over the years. I think some of the information you had there might be a bit dated because you mentioned the one granddaughter we now have eight grandkids, so oh my
2: goodness, eight
3: eight well, I've got
2: to update. <laughs> <laughs> I've got seven grandkids mad at me right about now. <laughs> well, congratulations yeah. for, for that. We've been talking about uh, Christian News Northwest, how it started and how it's uh, being sustained. I think a lot of people wonder that because, um, you know, the the newspaper is delivered here at the station. You can find it at your church. You just pick it up. You You walk off with it and you can spend some time working your way through it. How do you support the work of Christian News Northwest that covers such a wide range
3: of events? Just like. Uh, almost all the newspapers out there it 's through advertising so mm-hmm. paid advertising and if you our newspaper has a very traditional newspaper format uh, We have the the uh, like I say the ads that run throughout the paper we have the pages with what I would call straight news reporting uh, We have an opinion section uh, we have an extensive events calendar uh, in, in like I was talking with you before the break uh, um, uh, very, very extensive events calendar because we really try to keep up on everything that's happening w- within our circulation area here. Uh, we have uh, uh, classified ads. We have uh, s- features like a, a, col- a focus on the family column and a monthly cartoon. You know, it's just a – and it feels like a good old-fashioned yeah. newspaper when you pick it up.
2: Yeah, I like that newsprint feel, and you open it up and you know, right. spread it wide and right. have an opportunity uh, to read. Now, Christian News Northwest isn't the only newspaper that has attempted to inform the Christian community over the years. Christian uh, News Northwest is the only one still standing, but there's a history of others who have
3: made the effort. This, this <laughs> absolutely humbles me and amazes me. Um, in the 25 years that we've been publishing this newspaper, within our circulation area, of Western and Central Oregon and Southwest Washington, there have been 14 other attempts at a Christian newspaper or magazine. Now, uh, some of them have been more specialized, like maybe one was a Christian youth paper, or one was a Christian uh, music magazine, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But they all targeted the evangelical Christian community. We're the only one that has survived. Out of 14 didn't make it, we're still here. And, and to
2: what do you attribute that longevity? Well,
3: I... I I really don't take credit for it. We've prayed through many, many obstacles. I do have some ideas on, on things that might be factors there. Uh, one is that we have always strived to have a professional feel to the newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, to have it attractively laid out, and and to... Uh, it's not inflammatory in tone. We try to be even-keeled in the way we report things. Now, do we have a bias? Yes, we do have a bias in that we... we Look at things from the evangelical perspective, but we try to keep the opinion in the opinion section, and we we try to be fair in our coverage. And I, I think it's it's allowed a a level of trust to develop that really encouraged uh, the paper to survive.
2: Yeah, a newspaper without an agenda, but to inform, edify, and report. Right. Now, when I think of Christian News Northwest, I think of John Fortmeyer. If I'm at an event, I look up and there's John Fortmeyer. What kind of a team do you have? That works on producing the paper that comes out once
3: a month every uh, every newspaper these past ten years uh, because of the the increased competition from other media sources, primarily the internet, has had to trim its staff back um, in our case, uh, we have a part time production person who assists me on on some of the the layout things uh, aside from that, I do most to everything uh, but you know that 's not a that 's not a hardship, because there is such a huge flow of information because of email mm-hmm. e- email revolutionized newspaper and because of the flow of information that comes in and uh, the challenge is to fit in even a portion of the news that you get,
2: yeah, yeah, sorting through what to what to post what not to post, when to uh, post it, and so on now, one of the things you don't do is uh, personally distribute the newspaper, and one of the things you did in your Um, Your uh, piece is you praise those who actually, the wonderful people who actually distribute Christian News Northwest uh, every month. How does that happen? You mean, you produce the paper, but it's one thing to have stacks of newspapers sitting in an office. It's another to get them to where they need to be.
3: Actually, I I do still uh, a small amount of the distribution. Um, Excuse me, I need to take a sip of water here. I'm fighting those allergies that are out there right now, Georgine. (laughs) Um, We have a team of about a dozen people who get out there and just physically distribute the paper for us. And they are so dedicated. And our best distributors are often senior citizens because they have the time and the inclination to do something that they consider meaningful. Yeah,
2: yeah. What would you say is the primary um, purpose of Christian News Northwest? What What do you hope to accomplish by producing a
3: newspaper every month? Um, I want to make sure that the, the evangelical community is well-informed uh, on things like religious freedom issues, comparing uh, the way things were 25 years ago with the way they are now, religious freedom issues are, are paramount. We have, to, we have to keep on top of that. And that's why you'll find a lot of information in our paper when it comes to, to issues of religious freedom. We also just want to generally encourage and inform the community with good stories about the great things that are happening in ministry.
2: Well, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. In fact, we'll conclude our conversation coming up in our next segment. Again, talking with John Fortmeyer, He is the owner, the publisher, the editor of Christian News Northwest that has served served us well for the last 25 years. It's hard to believe it's been that long, but uh, I'm so grateful for your consistent service uh, to us all. Quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with John Fortmeyer. He's the owner, the founding publisher, and editor of Christian News Northwest. They're celebrating their 25th year of publication here in Oregon and Southwest Washington. When you look back over the last 25 years, is it is difficult to believe, um, as I would imagine, that for 25 years, um, this uh, newspaper has informed uh, the Christian community uh, as consistently as it has?
3: Well, as you might imagine, Georgina, I've got... Uh, when I arrived here, I was talking with your very friendly receptionist out there, uh, uh, young lady there, and trying to describe to her what these 25 years are like. And... Uh, I've got literally thousands of memories because we've had thousands of stories in this paper about how God is working in our region. Mm. And uh, it's been—I can truly say that uh, as challenging as it has been, these past 25 years doing this paper have been far more meaningful than the 18 years of secular newspaper work that I did, which I enjoyed, but but this this has really been most meaningful. Yeah,
2: and it really began, for those who are just joining us, it began— As a young man graduating from um, Seattle Pacific and saying to God, these are three things that I'm interested in. You order my steps. You guide me. You lead me in the direction that you would have me to go. And that is such a wise prayer for a young man uh, to pray. And you could not have imagined then the circuitous route that would lead you ultimately to a 25th anniversary of a Christian newspaper that has reached um, thousands and thousands of
3: Oregonians and Washingtonians. Well, I, when, you know, when I graduated from college, there really wasn't such a thing as a Christian newspaper. Mm-hmm. C- certainly there was Christian radio, but uh, the concept of taking, taking a newspaper and, and making it uh, oriented toward the Christian community was, was really not much in, in vogue yet.
2: I mentioned um, earlier in the column you uh, wrote in Christian News Northwest, the latest edition, you say that Christian News Northwest has been one of the great adventures of your life. In terms of your personal faith, how has uh, this impacted uh, your relationship with the Lord, your understanding
3: of His provision, and His call on your life? Um, But when you attempt to do something uh, that—and from the outset, there were— there were a number of people that were skeptical that this thing would, would fly. Uh, but when you attempt to do something that that you feel is a calling uh, and you just place it before God and you say, uh, as as the challenges come up, which they will, uh, when you just say, Lord, your will be done. It's up to you uh, whether or not this venture continues uh, and, and you see the answers to, to prayer. The first, let me just, just give one example. Um I talked a a few moments ago about our network of distributors. Well, they are terrific folks, but each of them can't do it forever. And, you know, uh, with all the routes we have, there's a pretty constant need to find new people. Mm -hmm. I desperately needed a distributor in Clark County several years ago. I, I just had no leads whatsoever. And I had no time to pursue any leads like that. Out of the blue... Out of the blue, I get a call from a business owner in Clark County who would heard about the paper, asked, uh, wanted information on it, asked how she could get it delivered to her, to her uh, place of business. And I ex- explained that uh, we were I – I happened to casually mention that we were looking for a distributor. And she said, I'll do it. <laughs> and, I mean, it was, it was it, just exactly the, the need being met when it needed to be met. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just – just little things like that that happened over and over and over.
2: You mentioned earlier in our conversation and also in the column that you are as dependent on the Lord's provision today as you were back in 1994, mm-hmm. and that has undergirded the work of Christian News Northwest from the very beginning. That's,
3: that's correct. Uh, we've always sought to have what we do properly represent the Lord, and in order for that to happen... Uh, We needed to let him sustain it. What do you
2: see uh, as the future of a Christian newspaper like this moving forward? We're in the 21st century, newspapers of various kinds. And we talked about this a a little bit a few moments ago. Mm -hmm. Various uh, newspapers are, are, for lack of a better word, are dying. Uh, This niche newspaper has continued to thrive. Do you see this as a medium moving into the future uh, that gives the Christian community a sense of... um, of, of togetherness, if you will, of uniformity, a better sense of shared
3: identity and purpose? Well, from my, you know, my perspective is is definitely biased. I think there's a need for this kind of paper for the evangelical community to continue. And uh, time will tell, uh, you know, uh, years from now, whether, whether it still does. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I still see a role for newspapers um, because we provide— News that there uh, that our readers are unlikely to get mm-hmm. anywhere else. As long as that need is being met, uh, I think I think there's a, a good chance that that a paper like ours that serves a very specific niche can continue.
2: Will continue. Now, during the course of 25 years, there have been stories that have been unflattering to the Christian community that are controversial in terms of their content. How challenging has it been to be true to your your core in reporting on events that? Um, again uh, highlight the uh, the fall perhaps of of members of the Christian community or uh, times when we have not uh, responded as well as we ought in various areas
3: I can affirm that the stories that I least enjoy putting in the paper are the ones that that involve real failings on the part of, of, of self self proclaimed followers of Christ An example would be and and We've had, from my perspective, too many stories like this about, for example, problems within churches where uh, maybe a, a child has been the victim of a, a sexual abuse situation. I have pleaded more than once. I have pleaded editorially in the opinion section, that, which is where we, mm-hmm. we keep the opinion. I've pleaded to churches, get your act together. Please make sure that, that your security lines are, are covered, that you're not going to run into these kind of problems. We, we find no joy in reporting on those kind of problems. Um, You know, I I think it's important that we as Christians acknowledge when we have these weaknesses in our community. We can't just sweep them under the rug and pretend, pretend they're not there. We need to acknowledge... Acknowledge the problems and prayerfully seek solutions. And uh, I mean, a, a good newspaper is going to reflect the good in in a community and the, the, the challenges in a community. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't want to
2: assume that all of our listeners are familiar with Christian News Northwest or nor with know where they can find a copy. Again, it comes out every month at the beginning of the month, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. Or, mm-hmm. um, what's the best way for listeners who maybe haven't had access? Uh, to find Christian News Northwest?
3: Well, we distribute at about 1,900 locations uh, from Clark County all the way down to Eugene Springfield, from parts of the coast all the way over to Central Oregon. So if they're within that area, and uh, if a church is is evangelical in its orientation, there's a good chance that it will have our paper. But if if they have a a problem finding the paper, just email us or phone us, and we'll We'll do everything we can to find a a local uh, distribution point. And, of course, the paper is also available for home subscription for $25 a year.
2: Yeah. Uh, And the website's very helpful um, for contacting and catching up on what's happening. I love the events section that provides an extensive list of things that are going on in the Christian community. If you want to know what concerts are going, look look in Christian News Northwest, and chances are you're going to see information about some of the concerts or conferences that are happening. Who's coming into town? You'd love to hear. An editorial from Dr. James Dobson, for example. You can find that in Christian News Northwest. It really is... Uh, full of all kinds of content that appeals to and informs the Christian community in a very thoughtful way. And uh, John, once again, I just want to say congratulations on 25 years. I'm looking forward to the next 25. I fully expect I'll be reading it from the nursing home that I'll find myself in another year or two. And uh, just want to thank we'll you. Maybe we'll need to
3: put out a large print edition. <laughs> there <I don't> know.
2: <laughs> you go. Either that or I'll get a magnifying glass. Thank you so much for faithfully serving our community. You are, have had a significant influence. And I appreciate your faithfulness and uh, following God's call. I'm sure there were times when you might have felt discouraged or, or maybe even tired. I've I've had that experience as well. But you have continued to serve, and I just want to say, on behalf of the Christian community, thank
3: you. Thank you, Georgine, very much.
2: Again, John. Fort Meyer. We're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety-three point nine KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon, which may fade into cooler weather tomorrow. We'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Well, Kyron Horman's mother talked about developments in the case of her missing son and announced that she's writing a new book about him during an emotional press conference that was held earlier today. Desiree Young talked about developments in the case. She announced that she's writing this new book about her missing son during an emotional uh, press conference. Every time I see his face, my heart just sinks. Uh, And I know that Kyron Horman isn't the only missing child in America, but he was a local boy. We are for the most part familiar with the details of his, uh, of his story and, um, People who have been considered suspects in it, the fact that he's never been found, uh, they don't know what happened. It just breaks your heart. Desiree Young spoke at Tualatin Valley Fire and Rescue Station Number 72 here in Portland uh, today. The nine-year anniversary of uh, Kyron's disappearance from Skyline Elementary School in Portland uh, falls on today. He was seven at the time when he disappeared. It was the 4th of June in 2010. He's never been found, but investigators say the case is active and ongoing. Now, I have to confess that one of the things I enjoy watching are these programs in which investigations are carried out and you have an insider's view of how they arrive at the conclusion and they are able to nab the suspect. And it's not uncommon for that to take uh, many years. So I suppose it's not altogether surprising, but seven years ago is when this disappearance occurred. And again, it's as heartbreaking now when I see his little face and then the composite drawing of what he's likely to look like today if he survived uh, whatever happened to him. Well, his mother said today that authorities have narrowed the search area for Hormann to less than 100 acres. Now That sounds like a lot, but when you consider uh, the whole world, 100 acres is at least somewhat promising. It's a huge amount of progress, she says, with all the searches that we've done. We've been able to get to a point where uh, at least I feel better. And that's, uh, that brings some consolation, I think, to those of us who are simply looking on I don't look at all those rolling hills and think we're looking as far as the eye can see. We're not. We're looking in key areas and we're narrowing it down. She said she couldn't reveal where the search was centralized, uh, saying that law enforcement would get very angry if she did. The case is very active. Uh, She was speaking to KGW. It's been a flurry of activity. Well, Kyron Horman's mother said police have new evidence related to computer and phone activity. She confirmed law enforcement has conducted several searches in the past nine months at undisclosed locations. We've got new technology. Things are changing all the time. She also announced that she's been working with the best selling author Rebecca Morris to write a book about the disappearance of her son. The new book is titled Love You Forever The Search for Kyron Horman. It's going to be published later this year. It's uh, sad because it's an unfinished story, and one would hope that there would be resolution before. Uh, The the book is published and made available. She said any money she receives from the book will go to a nonprofit that aims to help missing children and their families. Uh, The investigation in 2017 revealed that the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office was coordinating ground searches and detectives were analyzing new computer evidence. A grand jury continues to hear evidence in Kyron's disappearance and has met multiple times. So while his face and his story have faded from headlines, the search continued well, as continues rather, as I mentioned, Desiree Young, the mother of Kyron Horman, has been working with a best selling author to write a book about the disappearance of her son, Kyron. Uh, he was in the second grade when he disappeared from skyline school June the fourth twenty ten seven years ago today she says it 's been um, uh, uh, many years of not knowing where he went or what happened to him. The Kyron Horman case has been one of the most scrutinized and obsessed over cases in Oregon history. Nine years ago, I guess he was seven and it was nine years ago. I may have transposed those numbers. But nine years ago, Kyron was last seen by his family and we still don't know what happened to him. Nobody has ever been charged with a crime related to his disappearance, although there's been a talk of some suspects, uh, primarily His um, stepmother or at least his father's girlfriend. Well, the new book titled Love You Forever, The Search for Kyron Horman is written by true crime author Rebecca Morris. It will be published uh, this year. Uh, Young said any money would go to helping other families. If uh, if my story can help another parent that comes after me, that's what I would want She says the title of the upcoming book was inspired by Kyron's favorite bedtime story, Love You Forever. A copy of the children's book sits on Kyron's bedroom alongside a collection of photos of the missing boy. Things left largely untouched. His mother shared insight into the new book, along with uh, new details about the police investigation. She says she worked closely with Morris for the past two years, recounting painful memories for the book. She relies on notes, news clippings and a handwritten journal she kept following her son's disappearance. She hopes the book will provide some perspective into the anguish her family has suffered for the past nine years and the anguish that families in general suffer. So, that book again is due to be released at some point later this year. Meanwhile, Catholic schoolgirls are being taught that God is gender neutral and banned from using the word Lord, Father, and Son in their prayers. Now, this story originates from the UK paper The Daily Mail. But uh, they write that a number of elite Catholic schools in Brisbane are making moves to teach their students to use inclusive language when referring to God. Top schools include All Hallows, um, Stuart Home, Laredo College, uh, uh, Stuart Home School. It's a leading push towards a feminist interpretation of the Bible. Well, students at um, these schools in Brisbane's inner city, which charges upwards of $40,000 a year, are taught to use the word God-self instead of himself. As we believe God is neither male or female, Stuart Morth uh, tries to use gender-neutral terms in prayers so that uh, the community deepens their understanding of who God is uh, for them, how God reveals God's self through creation, our relationship with others and the person of Jesus, referred to in Scripture as the Son, and God the Father as, well, the Father. Laredo College, uh, in cooperation, uh, has... Uh, has taken the word Lord from their prayers, uh, as it is a male term. We're so fixated on our own struggles here on earth, and we impose um, the injustice that is sometimes attached to those terms, to words chosen uh, by God to describe himself and interpreted in Scripture. Uh, and this is what's uh, what's happening in this area. Well, the Catholic Office for the Participation of Women director told the publication that she was thrilled, and it was terrific. Schools were moving toward inclusive language. The Queensland Catholic Education Commission doesn't provide guidelines for what language is appropriate for the Australian Catholic Bishops' Conference. Uh, They did suggest that schools use gender-neutral terms where appropriate. And when the Lord's Prayer is it appropriate to use gender-neutral terms to change the meaning uh, of the language that we have been given? Well, the top boys' school in St. Joseph's College has replaced the term brothers with sisters and brothers and brotherhood with international community. This has been an area of growth for us in recent times, says a spokesperson speaking to the Sunday Times. We've made change to a number of prayers to more gender inclusive. Now, there are some areas in which it would not uh, change significantly the meaning of some of these references in Scripture, but there are others in which it would have a dramatic impact in uh, undermining our understanding of what's actually being communicated through the inspired word. But, of course, that trend could never happen here. Well, early June is um, offering up a mixed bag of late spring weather with several warm, sunny days in a row, now giving way to some cool and cloudy days by the end of the week. Of course, it's Rose Festival. This is not news to anyone who's been in the metro area for more than five minutes. Well, today started off chilly, many areas in the lows to mid-40s, Portland, Saw a few morning clouds that quickly broke up in the afternoon with a sunny high of uh, 76 degrees as I look out. Sunny skies everywhere, blue skies. This is a bit above average for this time of year. Below average temps are on tap for the remainder of the work week. A new cold front is making its way toward the coast uh, for Wednesday. The beaches could see light rain or drizzle on Wednesday and the valleys will see increasing cloudiness. With a mix of high clouds from the next system and low uh, level marine clouds. Portland won't see many sunbreaks for Wednesday. The temperatures are going to reflect that uh, with highs dropping to 69 degrees. I think we can live with that. By Wednesday night and into Thursday, cooler air will settle into the metro area with some light showers beginning around lunchtime. The high will be about 64 degrees. Forecasters with the National Weather Service They expect the snow level to drop to about 5,000 feet, and this could bring some snow mixed with rain to the mountain passes and certainly is going to bring some snow to the higher elevations. If you're planning a high-mountain camping trip for later in the week, be prepared for winter-like weather, despite the fact that it's June. A lot of people are planning on a parade for Saturday. Of course, it's the Rose Festival Grand Floral Parade. For now, the weather looks pretty good. We're being told, with cool temperatures and a slight chance for a shower or two, but not a soaking um, you can go to wet the Rose Festival's website for more information about the parade. That's rosefestival.org and perhaps a, a word or two on the weather as expected. Again, it's going to be much cooler temperatures, so maybe a sprinkle or two, but you won't be soaked. Um, that's what they're telling us at this point. We're going to take a break in just a moment, but Fleet Week for the Portland Rose Festival kicks off this week with ships arriving starting Wednesday afternoon. We'll tell you a little bit more about that and which U.S. Navy vessels will be uh, joining us for the Roast Festival celebration. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. By the way, Sid Brestel will be my guest tomorrow, author of God in His Own Image, Loving God for Who He Is, Not Who We Want Him to Be. That may extend even to language. Uh, the language we use to describe him. On Thursday, my guest will be uh, Lee Eklov, uh, author of Feels Like Home, How Rediscovering the Church as Family Changes Everything. Again, that's uh, Wednesday and Thursday of this week. By the way, I'm going to be at the Cannon Beach Conference Center helping to lead worship this weekend, and it sounds like the weather at the coast is going to be a bit cooler, maybe a little bit wetter than we had all hoped, but looking forward to that. And... um If you're planning on being at the Women's Conference there, I look forward to seeing you. So do come up and say hello. Well, as I mentioned, Fleet Week for the Portland Rose Festival kicks off this week. Ships are arriving starting tomorrow afternoon. Ships from the United States Navy, United States Coast Guard, and Royal Canadian Navy are going to dock at Tom McCall Waterfront Park, as is the case every year at Rose Festival. Ships are scheduled to arrive between 3 and 5 p.m. on Wednesday, And on Thursday, ships will depart from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Monday, June the 10th. Times are subject to change and some shifting, but be aware if uh, that uh, influences your commute. Well, since the first Rose Festival back in 1907, visiting ships and even submarines have been coming to Portland. It's always been a chance for the public to recognize and thank active military personnel and veterans, especially those who come to the Rose City by sea. There are opportunities to tour the ships, to meet the sailors who brought them there. Uh, tours are limited and on a first-come, 1st serve basis. More details can be found at the Portland Rose Festival's Fleet Week website. As always, uh, drivers will experience some major traffic impacts as bridge lifts for the Broadway, Steel, and Burnside bridges occur during commuting hours in the Portland area. And bridges could be impacted as ships come in between 2 to 4 p.m. on Wednesday and Thursday. On Sunday and Monday, as ships depart, bridges could be impacted Uh, between 7.45 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. on Sunday and between 7.45 a.m. and 9.00 a.m. on Monday. Commuters should plan accordingly. A partial list of the ships that are coming to the uh, Portland area from the U.S. Navy, ships' uh, names are not yet available for them, but the U.S. Coast Guard, we knew the uh, U.S.CGC Bluebell, uh, the Steadfast, the Swordfish, and Ironwood, that's uh, a decommissioned training vessel, And then from the Royal Canadian Navy, the HMS or I should say HMCS Nanaimo and the HMCS Edmonton will also be docked on the Portland waterfront. So look forward to seeing them and um, enjoying the company of these seamen when they come into the Portland area. Well, this week, President Donald Trump is in Europe to honor the 75th anniversary of Operation Overlord's D-Day. In fact, that's one of the reasons he is only the third U.S. president that's been invited for a state visit to the U.K. to mark that occasion. Well, the great sacrifices and victories of that campaign receive attention for obvious reasons. It falls, by the way, on my birthday. And so D-Day has always been something of a special day to me. Now, it's a different year, of course. I'm not quite that old. But it is a special day. Adolf Hitler's regime through the Holocaust and other oppressions became a synonym of evil at the time. And D-Day marked the beginning of his end. It was a remarkable coordination of international forces. And while we honor the brave men of D-Day and rightfully so, we should also honor the great sacrifices and victories achieved 77 years ago this week at the Battle of Midway. Sure, there was a movie made about it. We may be familiar with the name, but maybe less familiar with what happened While not readily accessible for visitors like the shores of Normandy, Midway turned the tide against the evil Axis power in the Pacific Ocean and proved the value of new tactics. For starters, the battle showed the value of intelligence work once deemed ungentlemanly. In the 1920s and 30s, code breaking was looked down upon. Again, the Marquess of Queensbury rules, and it wasn't very helpful in trying to win a conflict In 1929, then-Secretary of State Henry L. Stimson shut down the Black Chamber, who was a forerunner of today's National Security Agency, with a moralistic pronouncement that gentlemen don't read each other's mail. Of course, when you're in a military conflict, I'm not sure you can refer to your opponent as a gentleman, but it may sound familiar to anyone who followed the uh, smearing of Gina Haspel and other American heroes in the military and intelligence community, but that's another story. Well, the reason America had a A fighting chance at Midway was because of the heroic work of Joe Rochefort, who broke Japanese naval codes and was uh, reading their mail. That brought Admiral Chester Nimitz enough time to uh, not only send reinforcements to Midway, but to also come up with a Navy to ambush the Japanese who had hoped to ambush American carriers rushing to Midway's defense. But that's not the only reason we should remember Midway. The battle was a near uh, run thing, particularly Um, because American forces had been caught by surprise at Pearl Harbor, but also because of decades of neglect. The two-ocean navy coming from legislation passed in 1938 and 1940 was mostly still under construction. American faith in the arms control agreements of the 1921 Washington Naval Treaty and the 1930 London Naval Treaty proved to be wrongly placed. While the Marines were also building up, but had already fought with legendary courage at Wake Island being hung out to dry by the McClellan-esque duo of Frank Jack um, Fletcher and William Pye. It was at midway where the United States Navy already hit with devastating losses and crippled by unilateral adherence to arms control treaties that a potential adversary flouted managed to turn the tide. Much is made of the five minutes where SBD Dauntless dive bombers fatally wounded three Japanese carriers, but that was made possible by the earlier string of attacks by torpedo planes, including Torpedo Squadron 8, which suffered the loss of all but one of the personnel who carried out its attack. When the Battle of Midway was over, the Japanese Navy had lost four aircraft carriers um, along with with heavy cruiser Makuma, The United States Navy had lost the carrier Yorktown and the destroyer Hammond. It shifted the balance of power in the Pacific and halted the advances of the Japanese uh, military. It was a truly important event in our history, but try finding it in any textbook uh, used in our schools today and you will be woefully disappointed. Well, these days, rather, Midway is part of a national monument administered by the Fish and Wildlife Service. And while the Navy commemorates this battle, it rarely draws the attention that D-Day does, and in many ways, America has suffered for it. Our Navy today is in desperate need of hulls in the water. While potential adversaries are building forces, ensuring that we have a strong Navy is important for our country. And one way to make sure that we are prepared uh, is to know about our history. And uh, looking back on Midway might be a good place to stop and take a quick, well, a deep look. Once again, tomorrow on the program, we'll talk with Sid Brestel, author of God in His Own Image, Loving God for Who He Is, Not Who We Want Him to Be. And uh, on Thursday, we'll talk with Lee Eklov, Feels Like Home, How Rediscovering the Church as Family Changes Everything. Want to thank James Blind for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice show part of your day. As for me, I'm on my way to my great niece, I guess she's my grand niece's kindergarten graduation from Southwest Christian School. Very proud of my little niece Anaya. That's where you'll find me and my family this evening. Have a good night and congratulations Anaya.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast.